0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open them with me this morning once again to the book of Zechariah. Last week we began, those of you who weren't here, last week we began what will be a multi-month study, I'm suspecting, of this Old Testament minor prophet. Zechariah is minor not in the sense of he is less important than other prophets. He's minor in the sense of it's a smaller book than Isaiah or Uh, Jeremiah books that we have been reading together as a congregation. As I stated briefly last week, the type of message that the Lord gave to Zechariah is a, a vivid and imaginative prophecy, and it's today that we begin to see that. Before I read, I want to remind you, those of you who were here last week and inform those of you who maybe missed last week, remind you of the context of where we are in history, in time, and in place. God's people, the nation of Israel, have returned from exile. They've been in exile because of their disobedience to the Lord. They were in the land of promise, and yet God had to punish them. His justice demanded that He punish His people for their covenant unfaithfulness, and so they've, they've been in exile for many a year. And now they've returned, at least some of them have returned. their home, but they are discouraged, remember? They're discouraged because home doesn't look like it used to look. The city walls... And the temple, the place of God's dwelling in Jerusalem, remain uncompleted in semi-ruins. The former glory of the city, Jerusalem, is long gone. And so it seems, at times, is the Lord himself. He seems absent. And so the promises that these people were given by Yahweh long ago seem distant and forgotten, and the will, therefore, for them to press on is waning. They're losing steam. And it's into this, uh, let's call it darkness. Into this darkness, Yahweh sends his word through two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, And to us this morning through his word which he has preserved for generation upon generation. Now remember last week we began with the admonition through the prophet to learn from the past, right? Don't forget what happened to your fathers. Learn from it. And then the second admonition, return to me. Not just return to an ideology, not just return to an ethic, but return to me. Return to a relationship, the one who made you, the one who loves you and desires fellowship with you. And while we didn't talk about it much last week, verse 6 revealed that they did indeed, the people of this generation that Zechariah is speaking to, they did indeed repent. They did. They returned to him but they still need a change in perspective. They still need a vision for what is to come, and frankly, so do we. In fact, every week, we need to renew that vision, which is in part why you're here this morning. And so, in the book of Zechariah, Yahweh could have just stated these things. He could have just kind of bullet-pointed it for God's people, but instead, he decides to communicate These truths through vivid visuals engaging our imaginations and thrilling our spirits. I want to say something about today's sermon. Today's sermon is going to be short. I was originally going to cover all these verses that I'm about to read to you, but we're going to stop short because by the time I got through point one, I had almost a whole sermon And uh, we've got a lot going on this morning. This is an exciting Sunday. You can see the baptismal font is up here prominent, and that's for a reason. And so, lest I keep us all here till noon, and our nursery workers will be pulling their hair out by that point, I've trimmed down this sermon. And so this is part one of what will be a two-part sermon, a three-point sermon. We'll get to points two and three next week and conclude it. It's like a teaser trailer, right? Hopefully you'll be a little bit filled, but you'll be a little bit frustrated. You'll want more, and that'll keep you coming back next week. So hopefully that's the case. Zechariah 1, let's jump into the text. Zechariah 1 verses 7 through 17. It's our tradition at Ascension for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I encourage you to do that with me if you're able. Zechariah 1 verses 7 through 17. Picking up where we left off last week, let me read it to you. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edu, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red sorrel and white horses. And then I said, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and they said, We have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion, and again choose Jerusalem. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. The night visions, that's what these are commonly referred to as. What you just heard is the first of eight visions that the prophet Zechariah is given. Eight visions that follow a similar pattern and communicate a united vision. I could have stopped short after verse 10 since that's all we're going to get through today. But I wanted you to to get the whole vision in total and then we'll return to it next week. Verse 8, he says this, he says, I saw in the night. We don't know if Zechariah saw all of these things in one night or over multiple nights. Most commentators think this is actually one long night where he was shown all these things. But we do know that he saw these things. He saw them, meaning he's not asleep, he's not dreaming. And he saw these things at night. Not necessarily during the day. As I thought about this, this this seems appropriate. Not just that Zechariah is alone in the dark, but literally that God's people, the ones whom he's speaking to, they are in their own kind of darkness, figuratively speaking. And so here on February 15th, 519 BC, I throw out that very specific date because we can arrive at that very specific date in what Zechariah tells us here. And I like to throw out dates because it's a subtle reminder for us as we open up God's word together that this isn't some story. This isn't some abstract pipe dream that we're all leaning on with no Historical evidence. This is history. This took place in time and in space. And so here on February 15th, 519 BC, Zechariah speaks to God's people about what he has seen. That's not the date of the visions, that's the date of his sermon, when he explains and tells of all that he has seen. So as we meditate on these verses. I want us to see three incredible encouragements, only one today though. And the first one is this, in the dark, faith gives sight. In the dark, faith gives sight. I remind you of the fact that we live in a world where things are not always what they seem, are they? I don't know if you've ever heard or seen clips or the show Undercover Boss. Anyone ever seen that show, Undercover Boss? I'm not an avid watcher. I've seen maybe a couple episodes. It follows founders and CEOs of large corporations who exchange their high-rise offices and their board meetings and their suits for disguises in their own stores. And so they arrive as You know, dumb new hires needing to be taught everything, needing to be shown the ropes of how these companies run, but in reality, they are watching closely. Whether it be Subway, True Value Hardware, Roundtable Pizza, these are all CEOs who have done this. These bosses hit the ground to discover what's really going on in their companies. Well, I bring that up because this scene that we read about this morning, it's a scene in that lane. The boss, so to speak, wants to know what's up. And so we get this scene that Zechariah paints for us, a scene where, where the curtain is pulled back a little bit, and we get to see what's really going on. What does he see? He sees a man a man on a horse, a man on a red horse. Now, don't think in your mind that this is some crazy candy apple red horse. No, this is just a horse that is red, like chestnut red, a normal color of a horse. And behind this man on this chestnut horse are Other horses of varying colors, more chestnut ones, sorrel ones, which kind of is like a light coppery shade, and then white ones. And it's safe to assume through the vision and through what Zechariah sees that there are riders on each of those horses as well. And they're all tucked in this, this glen. What's a glen? A glen is just a deep ravine or a deep valley, and they're amidst a, a grove of myrtle trees. That's the basic thing that he sees visually. But Zechariah needs some help to understand what it is he's seeing. And so he asks the angel in verse 9, What are these, my Lord? And this angel, let's call him the interpreting angel, and that will be important, particularly next week. The interpreting angel begins to speak. And, and he will accompany Zechariah throughout these visions. We'll hear him again and again and again. Now, before we get to his answer, notice what he doesn't talk about. It's in part why I wanted you to hear the whole vision and the whole explanation, even though I'm not going to go into the whole explanation today. Notice what he does not talk about this angel, this interpreting angel. He doesn't go into detail about the color of the horses. And what that might mean. He doesn't say that there is significance in the fact that in the glen, they're amidst myrtle trees. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't dive into any of the weeds, any, into any of the minor details. Because, at least from our vantage point, it's because they're minor. You see, I want to say this at the outset of our walking through these eight visions. There is a danger, and it's always present in the Scriptures, but particularly in books like this, in books like Revelation as well, there's a danger in over-symbolizing things when we come to them in God's Word. We let our experiences and our imaginations attribute meaning to things that, simply put, aren't there in the text. Perhaps if there was another place in Scripture where the meaning of horse colors was unpacked or the significance of myrtle trees in the life of God's people was explained, that would be another thing. I mean, there's some interesting things, like myrtle trees were used in the celebration of the Feast of Booths, but so were other branches. And so do we want to make something of the fact that these are myrtle trees, or we, do we just want to acknowledge that this is the picture that he is painting? I know we as Christians, we lovers of the Bible, we like to decode things, right? It goes back to the decoder rings that we got in the cereal boxes. We love to decode things. And so we want to ascribe meaning to every specific of this vision without backing it up with Scripture, and I just want to warn us that we not do that, because we don't want to over-speculate about God's Word. If there are things that I think are meaningful, we'll talk about them. But as we come to this vision today, the color of the horses are just colors of horses that are typical in that day. The presence of the horses shows us something, right? Right? I mean, the presence of the horses in these riders, that that conveys strength, that conveys military might. I mean, horses were, especially in, you know, hanging out outside of a city, these are warrior animals. So we can get that. And the fact that they're tucked among myrtle trees, myrtle trees are these evergreen bushes or shrubs, they grew to about six to eight feet, they're common in the Holy Land, and they provide camouflage for these horses and their riders. And that's why Zechariah tells us that they're tucked amidst the myrtles. And so as we step back from the vision and, and, and don't get caught in the details of what's happening, we get this grand picture that, yeah, it's vivid, it's colorful, but it's one picture, it's one scene, it's one thing that the Lord wants to convey to us. And what is that thing? It's an ominous scene, right? It's an ominous scene. These men are on patrol. This is some kind of a special ops reconnaissance mission. And in this time and place, in this context, as Zechariah is selling this to God's people, God's people would have known, I mean, they would have known this. Like, we know this from, like, whatever, Born Identity or Mission Impossible or whatever it is. But they know this from the Persians, the ones who are subjecting them right now, because the Persian army was famous for this. They had reconnaissance guys all over the place. They had these vast communication networks and intelligence gathering groups that would constantly be spotted amidst the country. So this would have been very familiar to Zechariah's hearers. But here in Zechariah's vision, these aren't Persian forces. These are the forces of the Lord of hosts. Remember that that phrase we talked about last week, the Lord of hosts. See, this is a behind the scenes display of god's omniscience and omnipresence the hosts of heaven are doing his bidding gathering helpful intel now let me just press pause for a second theologically theologically yahweh doesn't need any help does he right he knows all things fully he he doesn't need anyone to go find something out for him and bring back a report. And so why is this here? Why is this picture here? This picture is here not just because it's reality but because it's gracious. This is Yahweh condescending to us because he knows that we know this. We understand this kind of thing. We feel this kind of thing. And so what God is communicating to his people is that in the dark, if you have eyes of faith, you can see. Faith gives sight. And this is one of the beautiful messages, kind of the foundational message of all of these visions as we launch into them in the weeks to come for, for this discouraged people of Israel. Though they may not see it with their physical eyes, in fact, in contrast to what they do see, Yahweh has not forgotten them. His troops are on the move. They're in the shadows. They're in the wings. See, we as God's people, we need to be reminded of this as well. We need to hear this. right, In our valleys of deafening silence, of where are you, God? In our valleys of blinding darkness where we can't see a thing, we need the eyes of faith to give us sight. One of the other beautiful instances and reminders in the scriptures of this kind of thing, we've talked about it before. Second Kings chapter 6, remember the story? The king of Syria is warring against the nation of Israel and the prophet Elisha is in the middle of it all. The king wants him. And so he sends an army and, and he surrounds where Elisha and his servant is, the ancient city of Dothan. In verse 15 we pick up and said when the servant of Elisha was rose early in the morning went out behold an army with horses and chariots was all around and the servant said alas my master what shall we do and he said do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them Can you imagine the servant's like what are you talking about crazy old man And then Elisha prayed and said oh Yahweh please open his eyes that he may see and so Yahweh opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. It's another one of those instances of the curtain getting pulled back. Or think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3 as they're thrown into the fiery furnace for their faithfulness to Yahweh. And, and what is in the furnace with them? A fourth man. And none of them are burning. You see, this is a reminder this morning that there is always more than we can see. There's always more going on, that the true nature of things is that God is always seen. He's always at work. He's always for His people. Here it comes. We live in an enchanted world. He might feel distant in your lives. He might even feel absent until the eyes of faith help you see. Now realize that it technically wasn't faith alone right, that enabled Zechariah to see these things. It was a special dispensation of God's grace in his life giving him this vision. Chances are none of us in this room are in line to receive night visions. If you think you've seen some, come talk to me. Let's figure it out. But I think this passage is here to remind us, especially in the dark, to see with the eyes of faith. It's, it's why we're here this morning, right? It's, it's why you've come. It's why you've gotten out of bed each Lord's Day morning to come to this place. And it's what the Lord gives you and I here. Psalm 73. But when I thought how to understand this as he looks at his world, he looks at the prosperity of the enemies. It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God And then I discern their end. Here you are reminded that his promises are true. Here we're about to taste together and touch his goodness, the emblems of a sacrificial death that have made us right with God through Jesus. Because of all this, no matter what kind of darkness we're experiencing, no matter what kind of darkness you're experiencing this morning, Individually, corporately, in our bodies, in our minds, in our families, in our relationships. Take heart. You are not alone and your future is secure. It's a great place to start in terms of seeing these crazy visions that we're about to see and walk through in the next few weeks. It's a simple place to start. There's much more that we could talk about even in this first vision, but you're going to have to wait a week. We begin today with this simple promise, a simple encouragement to utilize the eyes of faith. Oh Lord, help us to see. Came across a prayer book. I love prayer books. I have a ton of them. Came across a prayer book this week and a kind of a rewriting a rewording of part of Psalm 73. That Psalm I just read about going into the sanctuary and getting perspective, seeing things as they really are. And I want to close with it. I just thought it was so well said, well spoken. I have set my hope on you, Lord. I have been steadfast, wholehearted, worshiping in spirit and truth, meditating on your goodness, feeding on your word, my hands clean from violence. But sometimes it feels like I get nothing for my own effort, no reward for my faithfulness, only trouble upon trouble, struggle upon struggle. It feels as if you've forgotten me. But then I come into your presence and worship before you, rejoicing in your goodness, your kindness, your love. And the darkness is revealed to me. The shadows are illuminated. And I see with startling clarity the truth that has escaped me. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible vision that you gave your servant. Father, as we work our way through the lessons and the truths of these visions, may we start here with the wonderful reality that life is more than what we can taste and touch and and see and hear. That even in those spaces, even in those places where it seems that you are distant, you are not. Your spirit is with us. Your ministering angels are all around us. Accomplishing your purpose. And so life is never chaotic. We need never despair as we rest safe and secure in your arms, in your reality. Oh, Father, give us faith. Give us eyes to see in the midst of our grumbling, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst even of our anger, especially in our anger. Help us to see with the eyes of faith who you are and what you've done. Father, we give you thanks. Impress this truth upon our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.